Ooh, is it cold where you are? Well, welcome to Fast Asleep. And it is very chilly in our story. We are back with a conclusion to Jack London's wintry tale. Stay warm while you listen, but fear not. Because although it's true, London is simply not afraid of gruesome detail in his stories. And yes, there is a point where you may greatly fear for our beautiful wolf dog in this story. Please be assured, this dog will be okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the spoiler, but us animal lovers, we just, we need that. It doesn't mean that everything will be perfect. So, um, tuck in and enjoy the conclusion of Jack London's To Build a Fire. The man put more tobacco in his mouth and started a new growth of yellow ice on his face. Again, his moist breath quickly powdered the hair on his face with white. He looked around him. There did not seem to be so many pools of water under the snow on the left side of Henderson Creek, and for half an hour the man saw no signs of any. And then it happened. At a place where there were no signs, the man broke through. It was not deep. He was wet to the knees before he got out of the water to the firm snow. Oh, he was angry and cursed his luck aloud. He had hoped to get into camp with the boys at six o'clock, and this would delay him an hour. Now he would have to build a fire and dry his moccasins and socks. This was most important at that low temperature. He knew that much. So he turned aside to the bank, which he climbed, on top, under several small pine trees, he found some firewood, which had been carried there by the high water of last year. There were some sticks, but also larger branches and some dry grasses. He threw several large branches on top of the snow. This served for a foundation and prevented the young flame from dying in the wet snow. He made a flame by touching a match to a small piece of tree bark that he took from his pocket. This burned even better than paper. Placing it on the foundation, he fed the young flame with pieces of dry grass and with the smallest dry sticks. He worked slowly and carefully, realizing his danger. Gradually, as the flame grew stronger, he increased the size of the sticks with which he fed it. He sat in the snow, pulling the sticks from the bushes under the trees and feeding them directly to the flame. 
He knew he must not fail. When, when it is 75 below zero, a man must not fail in his first attempt to build a fire. This is especially true if his feet are wet. If his feet are dry and he fails, he can run along the trail for half a mile to keep his blood moving. But the blood in wet and freezing feet cannot be kept moving by running when it is 75 degrees below zero. No matter how fast he runs, the wet feet will freeze even harder. Well, all this the man knew. The old man on Sulphur Creek had told him about it, and now he was grateful for the advice. Already, all feeling had gone from his feet. To build the fire, he had been forced to remove his mittens, and the fingers had quickly become numb. His pace of four miles an hour had kept his heart pushing the blood to all parts of his body. But the instant he stopped, the action of the heart slowed down. He now received the full force of the cold. The blood of his body drew back from it. The blood was alive like the dog. And like the dog, it wanted to hide and seek cover away from the fearful cold. As long as he walked four miles an hour, the blood rose to the surface. But now it sank down into the lowest depths of his body. His feet and hands were the first to feel its absence. His wet feet froze first. His bare fingers were numb, although they had not yet begun to freeze. Nose and face were already freezing, while the skin of all his body became cold as it lost its blood. But he was safe. Toes and nose and face would only be touched by the frost because the fire was beginning to burn with strength. He was feeding it with sticks, well, the size of his finger. In another minute, he would be able to feed it with larger branches, and then he could remove his wet moccasins and socks. And while they dried, he would keep his naked feet warm by the fire, rubbing them first with snow. The fire was a success. He was safe. He remembered the advice of the old man on Sulphur Creek and smiled. The man had been very serious when he said that no man should travel alone in that country after 50 below zero. Well, <laughs> here he was. Oh, he'd had the accident. He was alone and he had saved himself. Those old men were rather womanish, he thought. All a man must do was to keep his head 
and he was all right. Any man who was a man could travel alone. Hmm, but, well, it was surprising the rapidity with which his face and nose were freezing, and he had not thought his fingers could lose their feeling in so short a time. Without feeling, they were because he found it very difficult to make them move together to grasp a stick. They seemed far from his body and from him. When he touched a stick, he had to look to see whether or not he was holding it. (laughs) All of which mattered little. There was the fire, promising life with every dancing flame. He started to untie his moccasins. They were coated with ice. The thick socks were like iron, almost to the knees. The moccasin strings were like ropes of steel. For a moment he pulled them with his unfeeling fingers and then, (laughs) realizing the foolishness of it, he grasped his knife. But before he could cut the strings, it happened. it was his own fault, or instead his mistake. (sighs) He should not have built the fire under the pine tree. Oh, he should have built it in an open space, but, well, it had been easier to pull the sticks from the bushes and drop them directly on the fire. Well, now the tree under which he had done this, carried a weight of snow on its branches. No wind had been blowing for weeks, and each branch was heavy with snow. And each time he pulled a stick, he shook the tree slightly. There had been just enough movement to cause the awful thing to happen. High up in the tree, one branch dropped its load of snow. This fell on the branches beneath. This process continued, spreading through the whole tree. The snow fell without warning, upon the man and the fire. And the fire was dead. Where it had burned was a pile of fresh snow. The man was shocked. It was like hearing his own judgment of death. For a moment, He sat and stared at the spot where the fire had been. Then he grew very calm. Perhaps the old man on Sulphur Creek was right. If he had a companion on the trail, he would be in no danger now. The companion could have built the fire. Now he must build the fire again. And this second time, 
he must not fail. Even if he succeeded, he would be likely to lose some toes. His feet must be badly frozen by now, and there would be some time before the second fire was ready. Such were his thoughts. But he did not sit and think them. He was busy all the time they were passing through his mind. He made a, a new foundation for a fire, this time in the open space where no tree would be above it. Next, he gathered dry grasses and tiny sticks. He could not bring his fingers together to pull them out of the ground, but he was able to gather them by the handful. In this way, he also got many pieces that were undesirable, but, well, it was the best he could do. He worked carefully, even collecting an armload of the larger branches to be used later when the fire gathered strength. All the while, the, the dog sat and watched him. There was an anxious look in its eyes because, well, it depended upon him as the fire provider. And the fire was slow in coming. When all was ready, the man reached in his pocket for the second piece of tree bark. He knew the bark was there, although he could not feel it with his fingers. He tried again and again, but oh, he could not grasp it. And all the time in his mind, he knew that each instant his feet were freezing. Well, this thought alarmed him, but he fought against it and kept calm. He pulled on his mittens with his teeth and began swinging his arms. And then he beat his hands with all his strength against his sides. Well, he did this while he was sitting down. And then he stood up to do it. And all the while, the dog sat in the snow, its tail curled warmly over its feet and its sharp wolf ears bent forward as it looked at the man. And the man, as he waved his arms and hands, oh, looked with longing at the creature that was warm and secure in the covering provided by nature. Well, after a time, he began to notice some feeling in his beaten fingers. The feeling grew stronger until, well, it became very painful, but the man welcomed the pain. He pulled the mitten from his right hand and grasped the tree bark from his pocket. Oh, the bare fingers were quickly numb again. Next, he brought out his pack of matches, but the awful cold had already driven the life out of his fingers. In his effort to separate one match from the others, the whole pack fell in the snow. He tried to pick it out of the snow, but failed. The dead fingers could neither touch nor hold. Now, he was very careful. He drove the thought of his freezing feet and nose and face from his mind. He devoted his whole soul 
to picking up the matches. He followed the movement of his fingers with his eyes, using his sense of sight instead of that of touch. When he saw his fingers on each side of the pack, saw, he closed them. Well, that is, he willed to close them because the fingers did not obey. He put the mitten on the right hand again and beat it fiercely against his knee. And then, with both mittened hands, he picked up the pack of matches, along with much snow, to the front of his jacket, but he gained nothing. After some struggling, he managed to get the pack between his mittened hands. In this manner, he carried it to his mouth. The ice broke as he opened his mouth with a fierce effort. He used his upper teeth to rub across the pack in order to separate a single match. He succeeded in getting one, which he dropped on his jacket. His condition was no better. He could not pick up the match. Then he thought how he might do it. He picked up the match in his teeth and drew it across his leg. Twenty times he did this before he succeeded in lighting it. As it flamed, he held it with his teeth to the tree bark. But the burning smell went up his nose, causing him to cough. The match fell into the snow and the flame died. The old man on Sulphur Creek was right, he thought, in the moment of controlled despair that followed. After 50 below zero, a man should travel with a companion. He beat his hands, but failed to produce any feeling in them. Suddenly, he bared both hands, removed the mittens with his teeth, He caught the whole pack of matches between his hands. His arm muscles were not frozen, and he was able to press the hands tightly against the matches. Then he drew the whole pack along his leg, and it burst into flame. Seventy matches at once. There was no wind to blow them out. He kept his head to one side to escape the burning smell, and held the flaming pack to the tree bark. As he so held it, he noticed some feeling in his hand. His flesh was burning. He could smell it. The feeling developed into pain. He continued to endure it. He held the flame of the matches to the bark that would not light readily. Because... His own burning hands were taking most of the flame. Finally, when he could endure no more, he pulled his hands apart. The flaming matches fell into the snow. But the tree bark was burning. He began laying dry grasses and the tiniest sticks on 
the flame. He could not choose carefully because this they must be pieces that could be lifted between his hands. Small pieces of green grass stayed on the sticks and he bit them off as well as he could with his teeth. He treated the flame carefully. It meant life and it must not cease. The blood had left the surface of his body and he now began to shake from the cold. A large piece of wet plant fell on the little fire. He tried to push it out with his fingers. His shaking body made him push it too far and he scattered the little fire over a wide space. He tried to push the burning grasses and sticks together again. Even with the strong effort that he made, his trembling fingers would not obey, and the sticks were hopelessly scattered. Each stick smoked a little and died. The fire provider had failed. As he looked about him, his eyes noticed the dog sitting across the ruins of the fire from him. It was making uneasy movements, slightly lifting one foot and then the other. The sight of the dog put a wild idea into his head. He remembered the story of the man caught in a storm who killed an animal and sheltered himself inside the dead body and thus was saved. He would kill the dog and bury his hands in the warm body until feeling returned to them and then he could build another fire. Hmm. He spoke to the dog, calling it to him, but in his voice was a strange note of fear that frightened the animal. It had never known the man to speak in such a tone before. Something was wrong, and it sensed danger, and it knew not what danger, but somewhere in its brain arose a fear of the man. It flattened its ears at the sound of the man's voice. Its uneasy movements and the liftings of its feet became more noticeable. But it would not come to the man. He got down on his hands and knees and went toward the dog. But this unusual position again excited fear and the animal moved away. The man sat in the snow for a moment and struggled for calmness. And then he pulled on his mittens, using his teeth, and then stood on his feet. He glanced down to assure himself that he was really standing because lack of feeling in his feet gave him no relation to the earth. His position, however, removed the fear from the dog's mind. 
When he commanded the dog with his usual voice, the dog obeyed and came to him. And as it came within his reach, the man lost control. His arms stretched out to hold the dog, and he experienced real surprise when he discovered that his hands could not grasp. There was neither bend nor feeling in the fingers. He had forgotten for the moment that they were frozen and that they were freezing more and more. All this happened quickly, and before the animal could escape, he encircled its body with his arms. He sat down in the snow and in this fashion held the dog while it barked and struggled. But it was all he could do. Hold its body encircled in his arms and sit there. He realized that he could not kill the dog. There was no way to do it. <laughs> With his frozen hands, he could neither draw nor hold his knife, nor could he grasp the dog around the throat. He freed it, and it dashed wildly away, still barking. It stopped. 40 feet away and observed him curiously with ears sharply bent forward. The man looked down at his hands to locate them and found them hanging on the ends of his arms. He thought it curious that it was necessary to use his eyes to discover where his hands were. He began waving his arms beating the mittened hands against his sides. He did this for five minutes. His heart produced enough blood to stop his shaking, but no feeling was created in his hands. A certain fear of death came upon him. He realized that it was no longer a mere problem of freezing his fingers and toes or of losing his hands and feet. Now, it was a problem of life and death, with the circumstances against him. The fear made him lose control of himself, and he turned and ran along the creek bed on the old trail. The dog joined him and followed closely behind. The man ran blindly in fear, such as he had never known in his life. Slowly, as he struggled through the snow, he began to see things again, the banks of the creek, the bare trees, and the sky. The running made him feel better. He did not shake anymore. Maybe if he continued to run, his feet would stop freezing. Maybe if he ran far enough, he would find the camp and the boys. Without doubt, he would lose some fingers and toes and some of his face. But the boys would take care of him and save the rest of him when he got there. And at the same time, there was another thought in his mind that said he would never get to the camp and the boys. It told him that it was 
too many miles away, that the freezing had too great a start, and that he would soon be dead. He pushed this thought to the back of his mind and refused to consider it. Well, sometimes it came forward and demanded to be heard, but he pushed it away and tried to think of other things. It seemed strange to him that he could run on feet so frozen that he could not feel them when they struck the earth and took the weight of his body. He seemed to be flying along above the surface and to have no connection with the earth. Well, his idea of running until he arrived at the camp and the boys presented one problem. He lacked the endurance. Several times he caught himself as he was falling. Finally, he dropped to the ground, unable to stop his fall. When he tried to rise, he failed. He must sit and rest, he decided. Next time, he would merely walk and keep going. As he sat and regained his breath, he noted that he was feeling warm and comfortable. He was not shaking, and it even seemed that a warm glow had come to his body, and yet when he touched his nose or face, there was no feeling. Running would not bring life to them, nor would it help his hands and feet. And then the thought came to him that the frozen portions of his body must be increasing. Oh, he tried to keep this thought out of his mind and to forget it. He knew that such thoughts caused a feeling of fright in him, and he was afraid of such feelings. But the thought returned and continued until he could picture his body totally frozen. Oh, oh, this was too much. And again, he ran wildly along the trail. Once he slowed to a walk, but the thought that the freezing of his body was increasing had made him run again. And all the time, the tog ran with him at his heels. When he fell a second time, the dog curled its tail over its feet and sat in front of him, facing him, curiously eager. The warmth and security of the animal angered him. He cursed it until it flattened its ears. This time, the shaking because of the cold began more quickly. He was losing his battle with the frost. It was moving into his body from all sides. And this thought drove him forward. But he ran no more than 100 feet when he fell head first. It was his last moment of fear. When he recovered his breath and his control, 
he sat and thought about meeting death with dignity. However, the idea did not come to him in exactly this manner. His idea was that, well, he had been acting like a fool. He had been running around like a chicken with its head cut off. He was certain to freeze in his present circumstances, and he should accept it calmly. With this newfound peace of mind came the first sleepiness. Mm, good idea, he thought, to sleep his way to death. Freezing was not as bad as people thought. There were many worse ways to die. He pictured the boys finding his body the next day. And suddenly he saw himself with them coming along the trail and looking for himself. And still with them, he came around a turn in the trail and found himself lying in the snow. He did not belong with himself anymore. Even then, he was outside of himself, standing with the boys and looking at himself in the snow. It was certainly cold. That was his thought. Oh, when he returned to the United States, he could tell the folks what real cold was. His mind went from this to the thought of the old man of Sulphur Creek. He could see him quite clearly, warm and comfortable and smoking a pipe. Ah, you were right, old fellow. You were right, he said to the old man of Sulphur Creek. Then the man dropped into what seemed to him the most comfortable and satisfying sleep he had ever known. The dog sat facing him and waiting. The brief day ended in a long evening. There were no signs of a fire to be made. Never in the dog's experience had it known a man to sit like that in the snow and make no fire. As the evening grew darker, its eager longing for the fire mastered it. With much lifting of its feet, it cried softly, and then it flattened its ears, expecting the man's curse. But the man remained silent. Later, the dog howled loudly, and still later, it moved close to the man and caught the smell of death. Ooh, this made the animal back away. A little longer, it delayed, howling under the stars that leaped and danced and shone brightly in the cold sky. 
Then it turned and ran along the trail toward the camp it knew where there were other food providers and fire providers. Good night.